Hi, this is Jill Jarris. From September 2017 through April 2020, this podcast was known as Olympic Fever. We've since changed its name to keep the flame alive, but we're committed to keeping our back catalog available to you. So please keep the name change and this disclaimer in mind as you listen to it. Olympic is a trademark of the United States Olympic and Paralympic Committee, or USOPC. Any use of Olympic in the Olympic Fever podcast is strictly for informational and commentary purposes. The Olympic Fever podcast is not an official podcast of the USOPC. The Olympic Fever podcast is not a sponsor of the USOPC, nor is Olympic Fever associated with or endorsed by the USOPC in any way. The content of Olympic Fever podcast does not reflect the opinions, standards, views, or policies of the USOPC, and the USOPC in no way warrants that content featured in Olympic Fever is accurate. Thanks for listening, and now on to the show. There's definitely some athletes on our team this year that are going to try to throw that at the Olympics again this year. It hasn't been competed since 2010. The greatest festival of our contemporary society, the Olympic Games, is about to begin. This is going to be close. Oh! You can do it! You can do it! Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant! But that is an Olympic champion. Ready? Hello and welcome to another episode of Olympic Fever. I am your host, Jill Jarris, joined as always by my lovely co-host, Allison Brown. Hello, Allison. How are you? Hello. I am well. Have you been shopping? A little bit. A little bit. Not much. I did a lot of shopping this spring, so most everyone is shopped out for for Christmas. Oh, now you're just showing off. (laughs) How about you? Are you shopping? I've been shopping. Like crazy? I'm getting my... I've been getting my deals. Excellent. Excellent. Today on the show, we are going to start delving into the world of freestyle skiing. And we'll do that starting with aerials. And today we're going to have a chat with Emily Cook. Leading up to the Salt Lake Games, Emily was the top female aerialist in the United States. And then days after she made the 2002 Olympic team, she crashed during a training jump and broke both of her feet. That meant she had to watch her team compete while she sat in a wheelchair, and she spent the next three years rehabbing. But then she did go on to compete at the Torino Games, where she placed 19th, Vancouver, where she placed 11th, and Sochi, where she placed 8th. And Emily is now one of the coaches for the U.S. aerials team. Our Olympic Fever contributor, Ben Jackson, recently talked with Emily, and here's the first part of his interview, which talks about some of the technical aspects of the sport. The name of the sport is Freestyle Aerials. Is that right? Yes, Freestyle Aerials. Exactly. So, um, yeah, the, the, the sport is freestyle skiing, and our discipline is aerial. So freestyle skiing is mogul skiing and aerial skiing. And, uh, yeah, the sport that I did and now coach is aerials. Okay. And so if I'm, if I'm a person who has got my DVR set or I'm, I'm getting ready to watch the Olympics out of Pyeongchang in, in 2018 and I'm there for snowboard cross or, or, you know, downhill racing or something like that, and I see, oh, gee, aerials is coming on, 
why do I want to extend my DVR and watch that? Well, I think it's you know it's an interesting sport because it's um, it definitely it definitely engages the people who are looking for a sport that's exciting and you know everyone's always looking for something that has that aspect of um, of danger maybe or uh, you know of something that's risky and exciting, but it also has. It has some of those aspects as well of um, of grace, you know, of something that you would see in gymnastics or diving or, you know, some of those more, more traditional sports. Um, you know, when you're watching aerials, you do see that action sport aspect where, you know, the athletes are uh, jumping, you know, high in the air. They're up to 60 feet in the air doing flips and twists and, you know, defying gravity and doing a sport that's super risky. Um, but also what the judges are looking for is um, precision you know they're looking for the athletes to be you know, in the perfect position to be straight to be um, you know looking very graceful in the air so you know I think it appeals to it appeals to a lot of different audiences and you know it definitely as an athlete appealed to me for those reasons as well it's not just powerful it's not just exciting but it's also really graceful so did this sport sort of develop out of the panic of somebody flying down a hill and not being ready? <laughs> I think it developed out of people who are looking for something more exciting out of skiing. Um, you know, it came out of the hot dogger days. Uh, you know, so if you watched uh, the old movie Hot Dog, um, you know, it came out of the old uh, the old freestyle skiing days where it was um, ballet, mogul skiing, and aerial skiing. So. Um, I actually did all three sports when I was growing up, as did most of the people who are um, from an older generation of freestyle skiing. And, uh, you know, it was uh, it was a day of um, of people just having fun out on the slopes and, you know, just uh, having a great time with their friends and the sunshine. And, uh, you know, instead of skiing straight down the hill, like people who wanted to be jumping and skiing bumps and. Um, you know, having an awesome time out there. And, you know, certainly our athletes are still doing that, but it's definitely become a more, um, you know, precision-focused sport. So when when you think about that and you think about, okay, I'm watching this sport and there's all of the excitement and there's all of the kind of, you know, I'm, I'm looking at the flips and the, and the precision and the jumps and, and all of the things that you outlined before, is there something that, as a fan watching it, I should keep in mind that might not be readily obvious that maybe the judges are looking for. Uh, yeah, absolutely. You know, it's, uh, uh, these athletes are, they're pushing the sport, they're pushing each other, they're pushing their competitors. And one of the things that they are pushing is, um, the degree of difficulty of the sport for sure. So one of the things that these athletes are doing is they're looking to add, to add twists to the sport. So that might be one thing that as a, um, as a spectator, you're not necessarily, necessarily so sure, um, of what you're watching if you're not quite an educated eye in the sport. So, for example, um, the 2010 Olympics, um, you know, my former competitor, Jarrett Speedy Peterson, uh, won a silver medal with a, a trick called the Hurricane, and that's a full, triple, full, full. Now, that's definitely a mouthful, um, which is why he nicknamed it the Hurricane. That's uh, three flips and five twists. So you're going to do one twist on the first flip, three twists on the second flip, and one twist on the third flip. There's definitely some athletes on our team this year that are going to try to throw that at the Olympics again this year. It hasn't been competed since 2010, since Speedy competed it. So that's one of the things that the judges will be looking for. Um, to do that, there's a lot of physics that go into that, um, how the athletes are are dropping their arms, how they're initiating that twist, um, 
And, you know, those are the kinds of things that, you know, certainly as a coach, I'm looking at every time I'm looking at my athletes jumping. Um, and as a judge, you know, the judges are looking for that as well, how they're initiating the twist, um, you know, what they're looking like when they're doing the twist, when they're finishing the twist, twist, if they're looking at the ground or if they're looking at the sky. All these tiny details are the things that, that the judges and the coaches are looking at when the athletes are jumping. And certainly the things that the athletes are working on when they're training and when they're competing. Uh, we're here in Ruka, Finland right now training. And these little details are what the athletes are working on every day. Uh, so you know, we're looking at video from the front side and the back, and we're looking at all of these tiny little details every time the athletes are jumping so that they can continue to develop their uh, fundamental skills and begin to work on these harder tricks as they build up for Korea. So then how long, you know, if, if that's a lot of stuff to do as you're flying through the air, and, and how, mm -hmm. how long do they have to kind of get that done on, on, a, on any given jump? Um, we've got about four seconds, so it's a actually when you think about it, it's a pretty short uh, Olympic career. So <laughs> the Olympic format is uh, a maximum of five jumps, so you get it done pretty quickly um, if you think about the amount of time that it's actually going to take for them to compete at the Olympics. But you know, if you think about a career of jumping, um, you know, I started. I started my athletic career on World Cup in 1997. I finished it in 2014, so it's a whole lot of jumps along the way. And we do a lot of our work on the trampoline as well. So um, you're refining all of those skills uh, in a lot of different ways, um, you know, thinking about it through visualization, working on it on the trampoline, um, building it up through the summer on the water ramps, and then bringing it to snow eventually is kind of the last step. Uh, we watch a lot of video. We talk about it a lot. Um, you know, we do a lot of work before that one jump that, you know, is the important one that's the Olympic final. So, you know, that four seconds is, uh, is you know, for sure the culmination of a whole lot of jumps that get put together before that time. Now, speaking of, you mentioned video. Is there a, is there a video of you out there somewhere that on YouTube or <laughs> something sure. we can tell people to go look at? Absolutely. It's all over the place. But, you know, I'd rather I'd rather than be watching the video of my athletes right now, to be honest. So, um, you know, we've got a, a whole lot of athletes that are training for the Olympics right now. Um, you know, we have two world champions from this past year, uh, John Lillis and Ashley Caldwell. We also have World Cup champions from the year before. Um, Mac Bohanan and Kylie McKinnon. So our team is looking really good going into this next Olympic Games. Um, and certainly, if you want to look me up on on Google as well, there's some there's some jumps floating around out there as well. Uh, you can just Google my name and find them. I have a website as well, um, emilycook.com. But for sure, the athletes that are jumping going into this Olympics um, have far surpassed what I was doing three years ago. So then, I mean, this sounds like. We, we hear about this in, in other sports, and, and I think even some of the sports that you did before, right, the gymnastics and, and diving and some of the others mm -hmm. where people are constantly developing sort of new, new levels yeah. of difficulty. And it's the same thing here then where, like you say, they're adding sort of another twist, that kind of a thing. Absolutely. I mean, if you think about the, the tricks that I was competing at the Olympics um, in 2014, so I – my the trick that was kind of my stock was a full double full so that's two flips and three twists now the trick that ashley caldwell won world championships with last year was a full double full full that's three flips and four twists so you're gonna have to add 
a flip and two twists to what I did in Sochi to, you know, even get close to what she's doing now. So really the development of the sport has come a long way. And, um, you know, she's the, she's the one to beat going into the Olympics. And um, she's, you know, she's done an awesome job in the last year. Now, definitely not saying that triple twisting doubles are not going to be um, competitive this coming year. They absolutely are. Um, you know, a, a perfect triple twisting double is going to be hard to beat as well. You know, it just kind of depends on, you know, how perfect you're doing the jump. You got a big risk in doing big triples and a big reward in doing perfect doubles. So we're, we're going to have to see what their judges reward going into South Korea. Wow. So let's go back for a minute, if we can, and talk about the training. You talked about trampoline and then into a pool and then actually mm -hmm. on the snow. So folks are wearing skis and jumping on a trampoline? Yeah. Yeah, that's actually something to look up. If uh, if you're listening to the podcast, for sure, looking at the training that we do in the summer is really interesting. So we do spend a lot of time on a trampoline, which people have most likely seen. But one thing that a lot of people may not have seen is how the aerialists train in the summer. Um, there are venues in Lake Placid, New York and Park City, Utah, and then a couple of smaller ones scattered throughout the country as well. Uh, but those are the two main um, U.S. Olympic training venues. Uh, what we do is there's a big ramp, and on top of that ramp, we put plastic, and the athletes will actually ski down that ramp. They do their tricks off a jump in the air, and they land in a pool. They're in basically normal skis and boots, and instead of a you know ski uniform, they'll wear a wetsuit or a dry suit, helmet, and a life vest instead. And when you land in a pool, it's just a little bit safer than landing on snow, so it's the place to learn new tricks and it makes it so that um, you know we can develop those skills all summer without having to go look for snow. And that sounds like a lot of water up the nose, though. Yeah, it can be a lot of water up the nose, absolutely. <laughs> Is it strange to go from, you know, I'm skiing in a in a wetsuit to now I'm wearing a lot of winter gear and, and, and I'm on the snow? Like, how big of a transition is that? You just get used to it, and, you know, the athletes are so used to this progression. You know, you start when you're really young, and you do a single backflip, and then you take that to snow. So, yeah, sure, when you're young and you do that for the first time, you know, it's potentially a pretty scary progression. I remember my first flip on snow was definitely really scary. But, you know, this year, for example, we took our, our last jump on water in the middle of October, and then the next day we flew to Switzerland, to, and then we went to a glacier in Switzerland. We were jumping on snow five days later tops. And you know, the athletes are so good at that progression that now, you know, that adaptation of landing on the flat water to a 37-degree landing hill is really quite easy for them. So we try to make that transition as quick as possible. And this season we did it within a week, which was really nice. So we spent three weeks in Switzerland training on the glacier. We came home for a little break had some time in the gym, a little conditioning camp, and then we came here to Ruka, Finland. And we've been on snow already for five weeks this season, and uh, the resorts are just opening back home in the U.S. I think, you know, Park City's just starting to get some snow. Some of the resorts have opened back east. And by the time we get back to back to home in Park City, Utah, the resorts will be open there. We'll jump a little bit there, and then we'll go to our first World Cup in China. Wow. So then what is you, – you mentioned being in the gym. What's the cross-training like for, for aerials? Uh, the cross training is definitely challenging. So, for example, our schedule today, um, you know, we're here training in Finland with a lot of different teams. So we actually train really late at night right now. So um, I know it's really early in the morning for you, but right now for me it's 3 o'clock in the evening. Um, I've had the athletes in and out of my room all day doing video, meetings, getting some uh, treatment from our 
um, physical therapist here. And then we'll actually go out and jump on snow around 5.45 p.m., which is a little bit unusual, um, but we're last in the order today. And then when we get off the hill at 8 o'clock, we're going to go in the gym after that. So they'll do some uh, lifting weights, and then um, after that, they'll just do a little bit of recovery, get some sleep, and we actually have a day off tomorrow. During that day off, they'll do a recovery workout that you know, is kind of similar to just some um, – yoga type movements just to have a little bit of active recovery so basically when we're jumping on snow they'll have about five workouts a week um on the days that they're jumping it's a little bit easier and then on the end of a three-day jumping block for example they'll have a big lifting workout so we do a lot of plyos we do a lot of lifting uh they do quite a bit of cardio as well just um to stay generally fit and stay light so that their weight to strength ratio is a good ratio. And then a lot of uh, mobility so that, you know, if you do take a crash while you're jumping, um, your body will bounce back well. So how many times do people have to crash before they, they finally get this sport? I mean, I'm guessing there's a lot of pick yourself back up. <laughs> There is a lot of pick yourself back up for sure. It's a it's a humbling sport, definitely. You know, for for sure, as you go through the process, you're going to crash quite a lot. Um, obviously, we go through a progression where you're doing new tricks that are safe for you and that you've trained a lot on water, that you've trained a lot on trampoline, and you know, we make sure an athlete is ready for that trick before they do a new one. But Definitely, if you're if you're pushing yourself and you're pushing the sport, you're not always going to land on your feet. And so, you know, our athletes are are often, you know, wiping snow off themselves. And uh, yeah, it, it's a challenging sport for sure. It's not an easy sport. Uh, but you know, our athletes are strong and they're always doing tricks that they're ready for. So, you know, when they crash, they get back up and they go back up and do another jump. You know, certainly there's there's occasionally some injuries along the way, but we obviously try to keep those to a minimum. And uh, yeah, we keep our athletes as safe as possible for sure. Well, so now let me ask about about your history a little bit in that you Sure. when you were growing up you were a gymnast and a and a diver and a skier. So it it sort of seems like a natural progression that you ended up here, but but it's not the most obvious sport I think for people to find. Um <laughs> That yeah, that's that's true. Um, that's very true. I, I got lucky. Uh, I grew up with um, a very supportive dad. I actually was raised by my dad. My mom passed away when I was very young. My dad loved skiing. And he also realized that I was a, a, a pretty um, active child. So when I was young, he put me into gymnastics. And, you know, I think that was really just to give me an outlet for all of the energy that I had growing up. And so, you know, I grew up being a gymnast, a competitive gymnast, and I love to ski. And so when I was given the option to go into a competitive skiing program, I had a couple couple avenues that I could go down. I could go down the alpine skiing road or I could go down the freestyle skiing road. And um, like I described earlier, the freestyle skiing road just seemed super fun. Um, you know, people were flipping and twisting. And for me, that just seemed the most like gymnastics, which was my other favorite sport. So I picked freestyle skiing and eventually it laid, led to aerials. Uh, the way that we have athletes come into the sport for aerials now is actually a little bit different. Um, we have what we call the elite aerial development program, which is based in Lake Placid, New York. And, uh, basically if young gymnasts are interested in becoming involved in aerials, um, they are welcome to contact me through the U.S. ski team. Um, 
The website for the U.S. Ski Team is super easy to find. You can just Google U.S. Ski Team and just click on Development for Aerials, and you can find my email address there. And just let me know you're interested in it. And you can actually come to a tryout camp in Lake Placid, New York. Um, we generally look for higher-level gymnasts and trampolinists to come try it out. And we have athletes that live and train at the Olympic Training Center in Lake Placid, New York, that we teach to ski. And they can come out and try it and learn how to do a backflip on skis. And if they like it, then they generally stay in the sport and have basically a fast track to aerial skiing. So essentially, we recruit from gymnastics and trampoline at this point. Um, certainly, we have some people who come through skiing as well. And we teach them the acrobatic side. Um, if you happen to be lucky enough to know how to ski and be an acrobat, then it's a much easier entry into the sport. But for sure, you can teach uh, a young gymnast or a young trampolinist how to ski um, pretty quickly. And yeah, it's it's just such a fun sport. And we find that the kids that come into it love it forever. And you know, for me, the experiences that I've had, um, the friends that I've made, traveling the world, going to the Olympic Games, it's been absolutely priceless. So I've really enjoyed seeing all of these young athletes come into the sport and have similar experiences. And yeah, it's been a blast. But for sure, it's it's not a sport like basketball or gymnastics where, um, you know, your friends around you are doing it. So you try it. It's a sport that you kind of have to seek out. So we definitely encourage people to get in touch and let us know if you want to give it a try. Thank you for that story, Ben. And thank you, Emily, for joining us. And it, it's really interesting to hear the the technical aspects of aerials. Uh, it's some it's a sport I don't really uh, watch all that much, and you know it's Me a niche, it's a niche sport, and it's it's interesting because they'll show it and you watch a little bit of it and then it's gone. And uh, I think it's because there are it, I think it's kind of complicated to be quite honest. When, I, I disagree. I'm actually surprised at myself for not having watched it. You know, when we were prepping this episode, I went mm -hmm. to my friend YouTube and I was watching all these videos of it. And I watched The Hurricane, which uh, Emily referenced. And it's beautiful to watch. You know, I love watching diving. I love watching gymnastics. And I don't know why I never really got into aerials. I don't know if it's sort of the reputation of freestyle skiing that scares me away or kind of the obnoxious rock music that they play in the background mm -hmm. to make it cool and hip but if you just watch the isolated jumps they're gorgeous and they're beautiful well what always amazes me is that they don't get tied up in their skis more uh, yes because like, I know what you're talking like about. a gymnast and a diver they point their toes they get them out of the, the way yet well, you can't, you can't do that. Toes. Yeah, you can't do that on skis. You can't point your skis because they would get in the way more. You have to kind of have them still be well, perpendicular. You, you can't with you. point your skis because your feet are in boots. Right. That right. Are solid. Yes. It's kind but of they, they lock their legs in such a way. Right. That, that the skis just go around and, and yeah, yeah, it's just amazing to me that they can do these twists and flips and not well. They do sometimes crash, but you know, for the most part they're landing these jumps. It's yes. really, it's, it's really amazing to watch. Yes. And, you know, we're talking about crashing and Emily just sort of briefly talked, yeah, I sat out the Olympics and I couldn't walk for three years. And then I got back up and did it again. These people amaze me with their ability to do that. Oh and, yeah. And 
to just get back up there and and do it again and do it at the level that she did. Right, was... and come back from like I can't walk, both of my feet are broken. How <laughs> besides besides the absolute pain that must have been, but the the rehabbing of that which took 3 years to get back to the condition you wanted to be in. The the focus involved with doing that. Um I I think we're going to have another portion of this interview you know, just the focus and the, the, how it is to come back from injury. That's pretty yeah. devastating. So I'm, I'm really excited to hear some more from Emily. She was, a, she yeah. was a great interview. Ben did a great yes. job with that. So yeah, really, really generous with her stories and, and has got to be an amazing, amazing coach. Oh yeah. I know. She's right? seen it all yeah. and she's been through it all. And she's still just like, my people are amazing. And <laughs> So yes, she definitely made me want to um, watch some more aerials, which was, which I guess is her point. Right, and hey, I'm excited about that. I'm excited, I'm excited. to see who's coming so, in. So, to watch the aerials, let's talk about some scoring. In competition, there are two qualifying rounds. Uh, a competition starts out with 25 jumpers. All of them jump once. Out of round one, the top six go straight to the final, and then the other 19 have to jump again. And the best score that those people get, either in round one or round two, determines how they rank in the qualifications. And um, the top six after qualifying round number two, those people advance to the finals as well. So you only get 12 people who make it out of the final round. But this is similar to diving, figure skating, gymnastics. Right. A, a lot of these sports have these qualification rounds. Exactly. And then you get put in groups and, and not everybody makes it to the second round. So it's, it sounds the most like diving to me. Right. Right. So then once you get into the final rounds, there are three final rounds and on final round number one, it's just the top 12 uh, people who made it into the finals. The top nine advance into final round number two. Out of that round, the top six advance. So you're talking about three people get cut every round. And then... So this yeah. is starting to sound like the Miss Universe pageant. Kind so of. First you have, you know, the 90 contestants and then the 15 and then the top five that do the final question they keep cutting right so so we're talking about mr or ms aerial verse competition here right, right? exactly okay, okay. <laughs> so so our super final round is the last round and that's for the top six people and the, that determines the winners the cool thing is on the finals that your scores don't carry over from round to round. So if one jump oh. like gets you, if if like in round round one you're the ninth person and you just get into round two, there's no adding of scores. So if you do like the best job in round two, then you're ranked number one for that moment. And then gotcha. so if un you... unlike <clears throat> diving and figure skating, right. It's not cumulative. Correct. It is a single score. Right. Clean slate oh. every round, which is kind of cool because if you just squeak by, then that jump doesn't hurt you. But at the same time, like the other, the other yeah. side of the coin is if you did really well, like maybe better than you thought you would, that yeah. that score does not help bol bolster other scores. Yeah, I'm not sure <laughs> I like that because it doesn't reward consistency. Right. It is it's an all or nothing every time. 
Yeah, that's rough. I'm not sure I like that. So as if as if, you know, the International Skiing Federation cares <laughs> what I think of their scoring system. But yeah, but, but I it's think interesting. In the finals, it should be cumulative. I mean, I like the idea that the qualifying mm-hmm. rounds. Yeah, that may. But right. I think those. I think it should be cumulative. Yeah. But then again, because well, we'll get into the degree of difficulty. That might. Yeah, I I think actually this system encourages skiers to do really insane things with their degree of difficulty. Every time, every time. No, I would say in the last round. Right, but I think that's what they want. They want to see the the best jumps at the end. Yeah, but I think it's it's too much risk. I think they're encouraging too much risk with the all or nothing. Hmm, interesting. What what I also think, conspiracy theory wise, is that it also allows broadcasters to only show the last round. If they really want to, you know, oh, hey, we're going to have aerials coverage. Oh, it's 15 minutes because we only need to show six jumpers. Right. And that's one thing that always frustrates me. Yeah, it's really short and it always frustrates me about the niche sports is that there are ways to not show very much of competition yet say, oh, we showed all the sports. Right. So that's true. But I do hope that that uh, broadcasters show more than just the super final. But. Aerials is also a judged sport, which is always, always interesting. And the judging is, that is pretty complex. And I think it would be really hard to be a judge, to be able to train your eyes to look for all these little tiny details that they have to do. So we have a panel of five judges, and the high and low scores for each component of a jump are dropped. And then they add the remaining three scores together and multiply it by the degree of difficulty for the jump. Each jump has a degree of difficulty, and the um, International Ski Federation has a whole sheet of here are the jumps allowed and how much degree of difficulty they go with them. The degree of difficulty ranges from 2.050 for a back lay all the way to 5.000 for a back double full, full, double full. If you can say Is that. Is that a square dance? Yeah, I don't know what that even means. <laughs> I think it's a back, back flip. Back double full, full, double with... back. <laughs> Yeehaw. I think yeah, it's a, so it's a lot of flips, like... full layout flips with double twists and things like that. Yeah, so this works so. like diving and gymnastics yes. and ice skating where you've got a degree of difficulty for the items. Mm-hmm. And then people are watching. So are different judges evaluating the different parts? No. It sounds like just looking at the landing. No, it sounds like they look at everything. And then for each component, whoever's high and low, they get rid of that. So it could be like judge four was the high judge for uh, element number one and and judge five was the high judge for element number two or something like oh, that. Okay, that's, I got you. From got what you. I understand of that, that's that's what it seems to be. So they look at, at three different things in the jump. They look at the height and distance of the air, or they call it the air, and that includes the takeoff that um, aerialists have. The takeoff is on that ramp thing, and that ramp thing yes. is called a kicker. So that's something that they might throw okay. out. Yeah, yeah, that's some lingo that they might use. Yeah. So then the second, ele- and then 
and then points get awarded within the takeoff part of it, the, the air element, there are points awarded for takeoff and points awarded for height and distance. Okay. And that has a range for good, kind of non-optimal, and then bad within that. Then, so, do you, I don't know if you know the answer to this. Mm-hmm. When you take off, obviously, you want to be going very fast. Yes. You want to be going very high. Yes. But do you want to get a lot of distance from the kicker? No, but I don't know the answer. Okay. Um, yeah, I'm not sure if you need to. Height and distance. Distance. But is distance yeah, good no, or I think, is distance I, bad? That's a good question. Optimum landing point of the kicker. Hmm. I don't know really what that means. That's a very good question. how far away you are from right. the kicker. Right. I would you think land. that I think that's what that means or optimum landing point they obviously have some kind of optimal thing. You know like when you talk to the ski jumper and right. you know there was a place where they landed really bad and got really hurt. Is yes. Yeah. So so then the the second element they have to look at is the execution and precision of the jump and that's called form. So they look at the position of the skiers' bodies and skis, the arm and hands, are, if they're using poles while in the air, and this is going to be half of the score. So the, the air is 20% of the total score, form is 50% of the total score, then landing is 30% of the total score. And Well, the, the one nice thing about this mm-hmm. sport is you, you don't necessarily need to know all the intricacies of what makes a jump difficult. I think it's adding more flips and more twists. Right. But I'm Mm -hmm. saying like, oh, was his body in the right position? I think if it looks pretty, it's going to score well. I think I I would imagine that if you're not, well, if you're, I think if you're in the wrong position, you, it probably shows on your landing. Like you can't right. land the jump, and that's the next element of the judging. So right, if you land, it's it, you know for the for the people like me who've not really watched the sport, but have mm-hmm. watched diving and have watched gymnastics, and mm-hmm. I think obviously if you land on your butt, that's bad. Right. If your skis are very far apart in the air, that that's probably that's bad. bad. If yes. you're if you're supposed to be in a layout position and you're folded in half, also bad also bad so you know you were saying i think it's really hard for the judges to catch all these little things but just as a casual viewer i think we can enjoy it oh yeah totally admire it you know i know one of the things emily was talking about is you know what position your head is in well i'm not going to catch that but i'm going to notice if he lands on his head (laughs) that's not funny but it's it's not funny it's not funny we'll get we'll get to that in a second but you know what I mean? Like I was just watching this, not knowing much, you know, mm-hmm. watching this and really in, enjoying how cool and beautiful it was. Yeah. And, oh my God. That landing was all you need to see is like one or two bad landings to know how cool a good landing is. Right. Right. So and, I, I just don't want people to be scared by all these con- complications in the scoring. Ah, got it. Got it. Got it. To, to say, oh my God, I'm not going to understand who won, you know? Right. It, the person who did the hardest thing the best right is going to win oh gosh that i mean good yeah yeah that's true i mean like who does the comp- most complicated jump the best wins 
Right. And the most right. complicated, obviously, if he's spinning in the air so fast, and I keep saying he, and this is a, a it's just that I watched a lot of men on, on the, on YouTube. I don't know why particularly. Um, if they spin four times versus five times and they right. flip over three versus two, it's harder. Right. If you can't count how many times they spin around, then that's really hard. Right. But and, it, it, but if they land the jump, it's it's interesting because every the three elements the the air the form and the landing they all have kind of different point values, yes. so kind of the execution of the jump is worth a lot more than the landing, and the landing is worth more than the takeoff. Right. So when you're because putting, you can yeah. do something really difficult, but if you fall over on your tushy. Right. Good for you, but you're going to lose a lot of points. Right. For that. So it's interesting when you look at the the delineation of how the points are determined. I mean, there are multiple just fractions of a point in determining what is a good landing. What's the worst landing versus the next level versus the next level versus the next level, and so on yes. until you get to the top. So it's kind of interesting when you watch and wonder, well, why is the, I mean, like girl A and girl B looked, did almost exactly the same jump and looked almost exactly the same, yet their scores could be very different because of not knowing what looked good and what, what didn't. Although I guess that's to our, our broadcast announcers to help us figure that out. Right, to say, oh, she turned slightly, oh, her skis were apart. <laughs> right. And they always replay every jump 500 and, times in different angles. And you, because they're only going to show six jumps. Right. You would hope they would explain some of this. But, you know, I, I don't know how well they do explain it. You know, there's a lot of, oh, wow, cool, and not <laughs> telling me enough. Right. Which is, right. I think, you know, I'm, I'm talking myself out of watching it now. Oh, really? No. Now no, but now I'm you know. all the things that annoy me when I do watch <laughs> it. And it's, they always have this announcer who sounds like, you know, some 17 year old watching the X Games. Right. You know, bring back Dick Button from the figure skating. Uh, Get him announcing this. Right. He'll, he'll tell you what's good. Right. But it is an interesting sport, and I'm really excited to watch it. I'm excited to see how our team does. They've been training hard. I, I'm going to give it another shot. Maybe okay. maybe I'll give it a shot without the sound. Maybe. That might be good. That might be good, because what annoyed me on the videos were the music and the announcers. So I'm just going to uh, watch it for the beauty of it. There you go. And enjoy that, because they're gorgeous. Yeah, it, it's just I the, the height and being able to do all those twists and it's just, it's amazing. And I, I kind of wonder what it feels like. I would, it's in, interesting to hear all of their different types of training, you know, yes. the year round, oh, we're going to try this on plastic, go into a pool and then we'll work our way up to snow. It's It's really interesting how they decide to do that. Yes, and I have to support uh, a sport where any uh, short people do better. <laughs> Though I have to say, somehow all the short people sports involve flinging our bodies very high in the air and doing crazy things. You're so the I'm... Altius. You are the Altius. 
you know, which is wrong. We're short. We want to be close to the ground. It is our nature. And yet you insist on flinging us at all speeds on all surfaces. I'm, I'm a little concerned about this. <laughs> but yes, I looked at Emily Cook. She's all of 5'3", and generally these kids are are pretty short. And I think that's sort of low center of gravity and keeping the rotations tight. You spin faster when you're smaller. So go short people in the Olympics. There you go. Alceus, get some 40s. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And when you're going to watch during Pyeongchang, the women's aerials qualification rounds one and two are on February 15th. The medals for the women's are on February 16th. And February 17th, uh, the men get started. And February 18th is when the men's medal will be awarded. So be sure to check it out. It'll be it'll be a great competition. I think it'll be really cool to watch. I'm going to watch it. Excellent. I'll let you know. I'll let you know what I think. Excellent. Well, moving on to trivia. What oh, do you got? We, trivia? And we are okay. on trivia. Okay. So let's talk about freestyle skiing. When freestyle skiing was a demonstration sport in 1988 and 1992, there was an additional discipline than what we see now. So, was you know, this your question? The, the answer is it took 11, 11 weeks for us to come up with the same question. <laughs> That's pretty good. We went 11. You know what? There's not a lot of freestyle skiing trivia out there. No, there's not. There really isn't. Um, but, but the other one would be, the other discipline would be ballet. Yes, ski ballet. Yes, it is. Fa- made famous by... Uh, Elsie, El, Elfie Schlegel? No. No, Susie Chapstick. Oh. Are you, are you too young to remember no, Susie Chapstick? No, I remember Chap- Susie Chapstick. And now that you say that, I, I do ba- basically remember the ballet. Yes. So, ski ballet. Well, first of all, Susie Chaffee was a famous skier and ski balleter in the 70s and the 80s. And she did a famous commercial for Chapstick. And she's like, call me Susie Chapstick. So that's for for our younger listeners. That's what we're referring to. So it was, it is a bit like something you expect now to be a Ben Stiller movie, right? Like, yes, it it there were men, there were pairs, there were women, who did a series of jumps and spins and I don't know quite what they were doing on skis, and it was ugly. Oh yeah, it was weird because you would like pop up on your poles and twist your bo- your your lower half of your body around. It was not attractive. It was not pleasant to watch at all. I, I'm surprised, but you know what? It was very '80s. It was very like the aerobics competitions. If you really want to go down a scary YouTube rabbit hole, check out the uh, pa- yeah, I'm already the going there version of ski ballet. The, oh that's gosh. the really fun oh. ones. What a sport that was. Because I do remember going, oh, a demonstration sport. You always want to watch demonstration sports because it's stuff you don't necessarily know. And you're like, what is this? And people spend time doing it. Huh. But now uh, the International Ski Federation no longer recognizes it. Which is also a... interesting. Yes. It it fell away. So it's somewhere around 2000. 
they, there's no longer an, uh, an international world championship. Uh, most national championships no longer exist. It's just, it's gone. It's, wow. it's a lost sport. That is so it's interesting. Like- Oh, okay. Well, you know, well, that does it for trivia because I got nothing now. I know. <laughs> no backup either. question. I've been having backup questions every week. <laughs> Go on. This is a week. I know, and I had nothing. Okay. <laughs> well, we'll do better next week. All right. Uh, let's move on to some news that happened uh, over the last couple of weeks since we last taped. You re- remember how my last trivia question was about India and how they only had three athletes? And, yes, I and do. we were kind of surprised about that. And now it's yes, time to uh, eat some humble pie because Indian loser Shiva Keshavan, uh, he qualified for Pyeongchang. And uh, in the, the Luge World Cup circuit, you have to get so many qualifying points. So he's qualified. This is going to be his sixth Olympics, which. And he's. He's yeah. not 90 years old. No. He's about 30. I think he's 36. Right. And it's, so he's been doing this for more than half his life. Right. And it's a pretty amazing feat. And it's really exciting. I mean, I'm, I'm so excited for him. And He's adorable. Yet again, YouTube. <laughs> watch some videos of him. He's adorable. And the way he trains is terrifying. Right. Just down the highway. Just he takes his skateboard luge down the highway with the cars still on the highway on this mountain highway in India, just luging down. It's insane. It's fantastic to watch. Right. So we are we are cheering. We are on Team Shiva. Yes. Totally. So exciting. Um, And if you are from India, there's actually a contest to win a trip to Pyeongchang to cheer cheer shiva on and he's got more details at his website www.cheerforshiva.com and that's uh the number four so uh cheer number four shiva.com next is shopping yes we talked (laughs) it's time to shop alan it's holiday shopping it's holiday shopping absolutely and what do you get the olympic fan who's got almost everything Yes, so uh, Criterion is releasing a box set of 100 years of Olympic films. So this is going to cover 53 movies uh, for 41 uh, Olympic Games from 1912 to 2012. So Sochi is not uh, in this uh, or Rio, but it has everything else. And it's pretty incredible. It looks amazing. you know, it includes uh, all the old, beautiful things. It includes the controversial Lenny Reifenstahl Olympia. It includes stuff uh, from modern games that you'll know. And it's just, just the trailer had me in tears, which I know doesn't take much, as we've discussed with my issue with commercials, but this looks beautiful. Oh, exactly. Because it's all the it's all the official movies that every Olympic committee or or every organizing committee has to produce a film of the games as an archival record. So they are usually extremely well done, and it just they do they look beautiful. So it retails for almost four hundred dollars. I think it's three ninety nine. But this when I was checking on Amazon, Mm -hmm. the. it seemed to be on sale for only about 
to 20. So the next thing on our news list is a new uh, campaign from the International Olympic Committee called Become the Light. And this is an effort to help refugee camps. And if you remember in Rio, they had the refugee team. They had a number of refugees that they helped support with training and uh, sponsored them to come to and compete at the Olympic Games. So now they want to have uh, regular fans help make a difference and also get active. And uh, they've created this Become the Light campaign. So what you do is you hook up your Fitbit or there's one other kind of fitness tracker that they test. You sync your steps and then the steps get turned into light that gets provided for a refugee camp. So they have some stuff. Oh. When, it, when the sun goes down, they can have electricity. So you're earning points that the IOC then donates? Is Something that the like that. It, 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 okay. Your steps get converted uh, into, yes, points or, or units of light. So now right. I, like, I like that. Yeah, it's a really cool So it cool encourages idea. you both to be active and then providing this service to the – or this need to the refugee camps around the world, which exactly. is amazing. One other fundraiser we wanted to talk about was one for USA Luge, and they're doing – I love this. I know. I'm so excited about this. I, it's called the running of the balls. And... It's right off the bat I love. <laughs> what they do is – you will buy a ball and they're all numbered and it's it's a ball it's a lacrosse ball you buy your lacrosse balls they get numbered they throw all of the lacrosse balls down the loose shoot in lake placid and whichever one comes out first wins and they actually but there's also multiple prizes yes, they it's have... like the top 10 win prizes right. so it's money and there were different prizes at different levels and then my favorite part of this is the ball that comes in last yes gets 100 gets bucks a prize. 100 bucks yeah so this is if you've ever done a duck race where they throw the the rubber ducks into the river or it's the same the same theory i cannot wait until they post the video of this oh i know exactly so it is one ball for $10 or three balls for $25. You can buy your balls online at uh, teamusa.org has a link, and it's uh, probably through the USA Luge page. And then the event will be held on December 15th at the uh, Mount Van Hovenberg Luge Track in Lake Placid. So. so if you need to get Christmas gifts or early Christmas gifts, like for people in the office or Secret Santas, this would actually be a lot of fun. This would be a lot I of fun. I bought you, yeah, because it's like you're helping people, so you're right. supporting you, say, Luge, and you get to show the video, and you get to participate, and, and kind of be a, a little mini Olympian. Right. Your ball will be your Olympian for you. And right. I totally love this. I am totally buying a ball, and I will let you know how I do. And on that note, that wraps up another episode of Olympic Fever. Thank you so much for listening. Go balls! <laughs> see, you, see you next week. Stay in touch. Email us at olympfever at gmail.com. That's O-L-Y-M fever at gmail. You can also leave us a voicemail at 530-763-3837. That's 530-70-FEVER. We're on Twitter at Olympfever, and you can join in the conversation at our Facebook group, Olympic Fever Podcast. Thanks again for listening, and until next time, keep the flame alive.
Go balls!